Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. For those of you that follow my podcast, you know that I have um, quite an uh, affection for higher ed and really tackling many of the challenges and also opportunities that are out there and also talking to leaders and people that are in the know behind the scenes that that can give us some insight as to where we are, where we're going, and maybe what our blind spots are. So we've got a real treat today. We're going to be spending time with Chip Posick. He's the co-founder and CEO of the digital ed giant that so many of you know in the industry to you uh, with a learner network of over 76 million learners. Um, they are a giant in the space and really excited to spend time with Chip. And for those of you that don't know Chip, and I'm sure many of you do, let me give you a little background on him and the many accolades that he's earned uh, while at to you, including the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 2012, Goldman Sachs 100 Most Intriguing Entrepreneurs Award in 2013, and multiple highest-rated CEO awards from Glassdoor. In 2017, uh, Chip was named among America's Best Chief Executives by the Institutional Investor Magazine, ranking third among mid-cap technology, media, and telecom companies. He's a leading voice and speaker about on entrepreneurship and the global education and technology landscape. He also sits on 2U's board of directors. Uh, he's been involved in education ventures since the early 1990s. Sorry to date you there, Chip, but we got to give context. Yeah. Um, at, least, at least, Rod, they can't see the gray beard. There you that go. That, that's the power of audio, right? Yes. Uh, prior to 2U, Chip served as CEO of Smarterville, Inc., the parent company of Hooked on Phonics. He began his entrepreneurial career in 93 when he co-founded his first company, Cerebellum Corporation which produced the award-winning educational television program and video series, Standard Deviance. He led Cerebellum as co-CEO until 2003, and in 04, he took a break from the business world to serve as deputy campaign manager for the successful re-election of United States Senator Barbara Mikulski. Ship, nice to see you. Great to be here with you. What, well, a, what, a, what a wonderful bio intro you, you did there. <laughs> That's just so your family can get a little refresher on uh, all the all the accomplishments that have uh, have, have helped to support the family there. Um, look, what I've always enjoyed about you is not just that obviously you've been very adept at building companies, building uh, things from the ground up, but that you have a real you have a real sense, a real beat on the industry and connecting the industry to the reality post-education. And so I want to dive in. I want to, of course, give me an update on to you. Um, but I'd love to talk a little bit about this world of AI that we're in, workforce development, and how really how on earth are we preparing? Because I feel like I can talk shop with you in this regard. You know, the one, whether it's a stereotype or maybe there's some truth in this, but you know, we have famously as an industry been kind of slow kind of slow, right? Sometimes, you know, the cynics will say that we are very reactionary and we're not proactive. Um, but it's going to take people that are really thoughtful, that have the platforms, the landscape, the understanding, the knowledge to be able to put us on a course that I think sets our young people up for success. We were talking off air just about uh, your kids. I've got two kids that are younger than yours. Um, and so I do worry about that as a dad. Are we are we putting them in in institutions of learning that have a grasp on a global economy that is very different than the one that you and I walked into. I mean, uh, what what a what an incredible opening question. I would say I am very concerned about it, even though I'm an optimist. So by nature, I uh, I do lean to the positive. Uh, try to fill my life as much as possible with positive people around me. Um, and I would tell you that uh, unfortunately, I, I don't think we're delivering right now. Uh, and I think part of that is um, a lack of enough innovation in the space. 
uh, you know, education is it's it's really strange that today there are, uh, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of forces that sort of resist innovation in education. Um, you know, it's still very local. It's still primarily offline. Uh, and it's still way too expensive and therefore not accessible for people all over the world. And that is a huge issue. And AI for 2U as a company, and particularly for our edX platform, where we aggregate all the, the learning activity, we think it's a huge opportunity. So like AI-based searches are up, you know, like 80% in the last three months. So like from a content point of view, we're delivering a lot of AI, con AI content. We're one of the largest tech uh, producers of tech talent in the world. Uh, so to you, we think is moving the dial. But if I come back to your basic question before we get into how it you know benefits to you as a company, like there is simply not enough innovation in education today. And that's a real problem. If you look at like, uh, I thought Mark Andreessen did a really pretty brilliant post on this, talking about why, why you would have a flat screen TV that you can wrap around a curved wall in your house cost you 75 bucks and a college education is going to cost you a million dollars. Like that doesn't make sense and it shouldn't be that expensive. And a big part of that reason is there isn't enough core innovation. And I honestly, as a as somebody that runs an ed tech business that very commonly is is uh, sort of uh, accused of the, the, the profit bearing nature of the company immediately gets scorn at times from a subset of, of the folks that want to attack for-profit education. It's, it's nonsensical because you need this investment. Like I believe in capitalism. I believe in what it can, what it can do for innovation. I believe in, in the notion of investing in education as a category. And if you look at the category of education worldwide, you know, 2U is now one of the largest ed tech companies in the world. Uh, and, you know, we're not that big, you know, like the, this is such a large percentage of consumption and need that there should be much bigger companies in the space doing much more work to generate much greater access. And it, it doesn't happen. And so AI what is going to make it. What changes, Chip, do we need to the culture of education? Because I'm thinking about the innovators, right? Those that, to your point, and I'm with you and believing in capitalism, we've got to innovate this notion of we can't be for profit. I mean, that to me is a, that's a non-starter right out of the gate because you're going to lose yep. the creativity, the innovation, the interest and engagement to find different ways to participate in the industry. And so I'm wondering, how do we, how do we approach it culturally so that we do not lose out on this next generation? Because I feels like we're playing a little bit of this Russian roulette. You know, we're, we're taking a chance that there's going to be a chip POSIC that is that dedicated or these other groups that are out there of similar size because without that, what are we going to be doing? I mean, we see maybe there's some residual to, from COVID. I don't know. You know, are we lost well, so, in industry? I don't know. Putting my optimistic hat on, I would tell you that the, the good news is that there are universities stepping up and moving quickly. So we recently launched something called our artificial intelligence micro boot camp. Uh, Twelve universities jumped on board, um, and you know that kind of technical training right now. One of the things that I that I say to my employees is. You're not going to be replaced by ChatGPT, but it is entirely possible you will be replaced by people that are good at ChatGPT. In other words, like you need to embrace it. And the more you embrace it, the more it'll superpower you to be able to have that fulfilling career. Uh, and an AI boot camp allows someone that might have gotten good coding skills to sort of take it to the next level and to have 12 universities jump on board right away, we thought was a great thing. Um, you know, another example. 
uh, a disruptively priced master's in artificial intelligence from University of Texas, Austin, the top 10 computer science school in the United States, like an outstanding brand, uh, really believing in launching something for $10,000 to, to create access to that kind of content at the master's level. So it's not that, Rod, it's not happening, but the global demand, the global need is so high that you're not going to do this with public dollars alone. You're not going to do it with government alone. You need private enterprise. You need people like me. I'm not trying to make myself a hero. I don't believe I'm a hero at all. You need people like me that are driving investment into the space to create access for people. And, you know, when I started to you 15 years ago, you know, it was a small group of us. And like we, uh, you know, we really believed and it was wildly controversial at the time. So like one of our um, it's still controversial, but it was even more so at the time, you know, the the the, the great schools weren't really doing anything online. And so the notion that you would bring an online degree to them was met with with real scorn by most of the community. Now, we hung our hat on quality. We believed you could do something great if you had the will of the institution. We were fortunate to convince some great schools to go with us, even though we had no track record at the time. And then we really delivered over a long time period. But basically, like, you know, it's not going to come from just uh, one company called 2U. Sure, we're, you know, we're a good-sized company today, uh, you know, 4,000 employees, a billion in revenue, blah, blah, blah. But, like, net-net, the demand across the, the world, you know, the, the estimate is by 2030 that there's going to be 120 million new people needing to get into higher ed. And uh, it's a global problem. And there is just simply not enough activity. And it personally, you know, with with the way uh, sort of state budgets here in the states or federal budgets are stretched, I think it's got to come from the private sector. Now, unfortunately, the private sector is very often vilified in education, and it's really unfortunate. So uh, that all sounds wildly depressing when I choose to think of like, you know, leaning on the positive, like. You know, we just we're about to pass 25,000 uh, graduates in our uh, one example in in an area of, you know, in, in health where you're generating somebody that's going to go in, deliver babies from the Georgetown midwifery program, become a physician assistant from the Yale physician assistant program. These are areas where you've got just like in tech, you've got a massive shortage. And I'm very proud to run a company that is addressing that shortage with quality programs that result in a life-changing outcome for the student and also access from the standpoint of, you know, at this point, I think the Georgetown midwifery program has delivered almost 15,000 babies. That's incredible. Like, it's awesome. You know, that's, like, that's why I come into work. Like, that's what gets me going in the morning. You know, I've been doing this 15 years. Most people in my seat are long gone. You know, it's pretty rare that, like, you start it, you IPO it, and then nine years later, you're still doing it, particularly with the rigors of the public markets. You know, that's that's not the best part of my job. Um, but my point is, why I do it is I love the impact we have, and I, I very much appreciate uh, the role of private investment in making this stuff happen. So a lot of people are, they get a little bit nervous and or they just don't have the information when it comes to higher education, the number of physical brick and mortar institutions that are presently 
open for business and those that are either in in danger of folding and or sort of being sucked up by the bigger institutions. I know you're a football yeah. fan. I'm a, I'm a sports fan. I kind of equate it to we're going to have these super conferences, right? We go from the Big Ten, which is actually the Big 12, 13, the SEC. And you start to say, well, okay, what is what's the opportunity for a company like 2U that is positioned so nicely already with a history and a legacy to support a physical institution and a, and a differing uh, student body of needs? Um, and what does it say about the way in which we are viewing as a culture, higher education and the value proposition long-term? Yeah, I mean, you know, to make it uh, incredibly timing, timely, just last week, a very small partner of 2 use, so not a meaningful partner from a financial standpoint, named Cabrini University decided to basically sell itself to Villanova and therefore effectively shut down Cabrini. It's been in existence for like 100 years. Um, higher ed is in an odd spot. And I would tell you, the, the great brands and the big schools are getting bigger and are getting more successful. And you do have a have and have not story here. Um, now, for 2U, you know, I, I feel like, um, you know, we, we, we saw this coming many years ago and really started building a business that we thought would have great resiliency long term. Number one, uh, the story is not just about degrees anymore. We, we fully believe in the power of the degree. We do. But you can't create the access for people if you're only doing it with degree programs. That doesn't fit into everybody's life. You have to meet the learner where the learner needs to be met. Uh, and so we gradually, over like a half a decade, we acquired a series of companies that allowed us to get into different parts of the space. So short form courses, technical boot camps, those were two acquisitions. And that led us to the biggest one that we did, which was acquiring the edX platform. And I really believe that the shift to a platform company uh, is why I have high confidence that 20 years from now, 2U will be a much bigger, much more successful global company, even though I won't be running it then anymore. I'll be 72. Um, you know, we think that it will stand the test of time for a reason. A single university, like platforms dominate all commerce. They just do. You know, people don't even realize how often they're now accessing a platform, whether you're looking for travel or you're looking for a consumer product or you're looking for housing or you're looking for anything, really. I mean, think about where you buy what you buy today and think about how you buy it. You, you don't think about going uh, online shopping. You just go shopping and you don't it's not obvious to you. And that lack of friction is what will occur over time in higher ed. And we really believe that single universities or single companies that were, are structured like we used to be structured, where we where we worked with a single point solution effectively, like building a single degree for a school, we do think over time that'll be more and more challenged. Um, everyone is going online. That is the good thing, Rob. Like on the optimistic side, schools now realize you have to be online, but it's a slow pace. And I would tell you, like right now, current period, we have more degree-based demand from university partners than we've ever had. So that's the good news, is that schools want it. But as you think about more and more people coming into the space, more and more online options, that becomes a real competitive challenge for the universities in a way that schools aren't structured to deal with. It's very difficult. You know, um, one of the things that's fascinating about higher ed is like, it's a, it's a very unusual uh, operating environment. Like 
you know, people, I, I do think this has built some form of durable moat around to you. We talk about that a lot internally, like what's our durable moat. And I would tell you that learning how to operate in this environment where there's no single decision maker, the president or chancellor has a lot of influence, but no direct control. And many, most of the people involved in the activity actually can't even be fired because they have tenure. You know, it creates some brilliance. So it creates freedom of thought and an open expression that I think doesn't happen anywhere else, but it creates some real challenges in, you know, innovation, speed to market, resistance to change, things like that. So we've been able to make it work. And what we're doing now is really aggregating more and more high quality online programs and, you know, even calling them a product might be offensive to people in higher ed at times, but that is what they are and serving those things to people in a way that creates quality at scale. So I feel like the outcomes at scale, when I think about what defines the next 10 years of 2U, it's, it's not going online, you know, it's outcomes at scale. Like when you look at the problem, Rod, it's, these are such big problems. And one of the things that I often talk to, you know, I advise a lot of uh, startup founders. I love startups and I, I have great passion for them. And, you know, they're hard. Like, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to curse on your show. Like they're, you know, I, I would use some color there to tell you how hard they are. Um, like they're harder than people realize. My first one I ran for a decade and it failed. So like I had that a decade. I did it for 10 years. This one I've run for 15 and it's turned into something that's completely changed my life. Yay. This is more fun. But like you don't appreciate me. Most people don't appreciate how hard they are. And I would say like, I just think right now, uh, you know, a big focus of mine is getting entrepreneurs to focus on some of these really big problems. Like, you know, don't just make the other new dating or shopping app. Nothing wrong with dating or shopping apps, but like. Do something with substance that has connective tissue generation, right. right? So one of those, an element, an element of those conversations um, and, and maybe the colorful language. I'm so curious, and I think this would be valuable for the audience, is that. Anybody who's worked in higher ed, and I've been a provider and I guess lecture at Vanderbilt, so I've seen it from that side of it. I've been in board meetings. There's this notion that it's very linear historically in thinking, sort of like, well, this is what we've done and we're going to go to A to B to C. But yet we're talking about com complex problems that are three-dimensional in orientation. And, yes. Right? And so I'm wondering about, because part of me thinks, musing with you here in the show, is that Maybe one of the secret sauces of, of 2U is your understanding and your ability to navigate relationships. Because I've seen so many companies that have tried to participate in the higher ed environment that have died on the vine very quickly. And it seems to me that if you kind of do an after action or an autopsy on that, that endeavor, that they struggle to be able to understand that if you come in with a solution, you could be in essence, or the fear is you're taking a job away. Right. And we are really in higher ed. It's tradition. It's linear thinking or that's the danger. And we're coming in with something that is new, fresh, innovative, speaks to the student, you know, and speaks to the workforce. Um, talk a little bit about the relationship with higher ed, how the, what the arc of that has been over the 15 years. And did you yeah, look in that first 10 years that you had when you said you ultimately failed? I'm using your words um, to apply to, to you. I had a brilliant provost of ours tell me a long time ago. Um, when we were grappling with how the institution was handling us, uh, he said to me, 
you need to understand it's not fear of change. It's fear of loss. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, it's fear of identity loss. Uh, higher ed has done something so well for so long that it, it is it, like they've done it basically the same way for hundreds of years. These institutions have stood the test of time. And if you think about Rod, how ridiculous it is that like Oxford was founded in 1096. Like what? You know, it's like it's like Oxford and the Catholic Church. Like, you know, so um, but if you think more in more recent times, you know, like the best brands in the world, name a name a great brand, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is certainly one of the best brands in the world. It's one of the oldest brands that we all consume. Uh, Coke was founded in 1886. Georgetown and Chapel Hill, two two you partners, are two of our first three partners. They were founded in 1789. They have 100 years on Coke. So people don't realize like how long these places have been around. So it's not about the, the, the age, it's about the history and the success. And I would say that fear of loss, I do think, to use your point, I do think one of the reasons we made it here and that I think if we ever forget, we won't make it to where we want to go is relationship, relationships matter tremendously to a point where we have nine guiding principles. Uh, when you have these kind of guiding principles, you know, as the founder, you do have to look back and decide like, you know, how you doing on them and do they still make sense? Do they still resonate? And, you know, it is one of the things that I'm honestly most proud of about to you and it might sound a little cheesy because when you read, you know, if you, if you don't have the context of how they fit into the company, if you look at them on a page, it's like, is that real? And I will tell you, if you ask our employees, it we really run the company with these nine guiding principles. One of them happens to be relationships matter. And like it does, they do matter. And like people make the world go around and like really buying into the notion of bringing these great faculty along on a path to see what the world might be with a different form. Now, that is where COVID helped. COVID hurt us mostly. It really did. Like I can say that now with with clarity, like when I was in it, it was hard. And, I, and it wasn't obvious to me because there were some really good things. Like we got a, got a bunch of new learners, but in the end it was as a public company in particular, it was more harmful. But what did help us is the preconceived notions of how nasty online would be. They all had to go online. They didn't have a choice, whether they liked it or not. And so it did, it did rip the bandaid off and get people to see that it wasn't all bad. Now, unfortunately, as you, as you, as you might've experienced with your kids, a lot of it was really bad because it was so rushed. And so you can't put people on a zoom for three hours. You know, it's like you, you're going to poke your eyes out with a pencil. You know, it's like, that's not, that's not helpful. So like in our programs, we take people on this curated path of instruction. Uh, but nonetheless, like, you know, I do think today, particularly with what's happening with AI, like we're big believers that, like embracing the technology is the way to go. Uh, we're embedding it. We're embedding generative AI into uh, most aspects of our business, not just our platform. Uh, we we debuted something called edX Expert that is like a personal tutor that'll guide you using generative AI based on our content, not based on ChatGPT. And then we debuted inside ChatGPT a plugin. So if you go to ChatGPT, you can download the edX plugin. And if you're if you're asking questions to ChatGPT, anything that you're asking about what resources you might be able to get to learn something, it will go to edX and pull it for you. So it's pretty cool. So like we're doing a bunch of work there, and I think it's meaningful from a content standpoint. 
it's meaningful from a personalized learning standpoint, like personalized learning, you know, you know, from being in the space, like has been really controversial over a long time period. I think it's finally now ready. Right. I mean, I don't think people understood it was, it was like a bunch of folks at a cocktail party saying, Oh yeah, I've heard of that book when you haven't heard of that that author. It was just shaking your head, nodding your head and trying to apply something broadly to what you, what you did. So if, if you're at a table of other leaders, of other CEOs in the ed tech space, are you lonely at that table? Is, that, is there only a few people at the table that are being so proactive in AI? Because, yeah, I mean, think- Well, unfortunately, it's a lonely table because of what I mentioned before. It's not because of AI. So you've got some incredible examples of companies that are embedding AI into their business. Um, you know, like Duolingo is doing a lot of great work here. If you want to learn a language, great company. Um, Chegg is building uh, the technology directly in to help students with answers. Like there's a bunch of stuff being done. There's just not enough companies is the problem. Like that's the real problems right now. There's a dearth of venture capital going into tech. If you look at like other sectors, like FinTech's the best example. FinTech is off the charts. Whoa. I mean, and you've got these massive companies being built, you know, f- for a long time in ed tech, there was no IPO path. And then Chegg IPO'd and then we IPO'd. And for a long time, it was just the two of us. Now there's there's more public companies, but for the size of the GDP associated with higher ed, the number of public companies is tiny compared to anything else. Like think about healthcare. You're talking about massive companies. You know, a buddy of mine is a very senior executive at AstraZeneca. And so I love talking to him about like what's going on in his workplace because you know, we've got 4,000 employees, he's got 50,000. So like, you know, that's like scale. And I need to learn from people that have scale. Uh, so I love talking to him, but like those types of companies, they just don't exist. Like I'm the biggest, I shouldn't be the biggest, you know? So uh, it's too big of an opportunity. It's too big of a need. Uh, and globally, it does really worry me that we're not, we're not sitting here talking about creating greater pathways and investment and instead you know, you might have seen we we sued the U.S. Department of Education earlier this year. Uh, yeah, that's a non-trivial decision as a as an education company. Like we need we need policy that supports great advancement in innovation in education, not just uh, you know continually on this sort of defense side. Well, and that that's a big challenge because right now politically, I mean, it feels like we're just in a uh, it's a it's a standoff, right? I mean, yeah, and, and especially in the higher ed space, and we don't have to dive into that that piece of it. But I do think that it makes younger people think, you know, what's my place? Do I, what do I need from higher ed? Right. I mean, do I, and do I ultimately need a formal education or do I just need an education in hard knocks? And I think, well, that's here's what I would tell you. I think, I think the answer is yes. And yes. Like, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in, um, you know, I mean, I, I grew up, uh, my parents are amazing. I love them to death, uh, but I didn't grow up with the greatest set of resources. You know, I got a Pell Grant to attend GW. Um, I learned a ton from my folks and, you know, you would love having a beer with my dad. He's just incredible. But, um, you know, I, I paid my way to get to GW. I got there. I've been out of Florida twice in my life. I'd never seen snow. I didn't own a winter coat. I get to DC, completely changes my life. Like just, it opened me to the world. And one of the reasons I love to you is I think that's what we do for people. And like, you know, we need more of that. And, and we also, you also need to put in the work. And, you know, I mean, as a CEO, I do worry that we're in this weird world right now where, you know, sort of the notion of quiet quitting 
would be acceptable is like, what are you talking about? If we thought about quiet quitting, two you wouldn't exist. I mean, we it's hard to overstate how crazy the first two years of this place was. You know, it was really, really hard. It's still hard, but that hard to me brings joy. It brings like, I love my work. You know, I love my family more. My family is my priority, no question. But, you know, I get a great amount of personal satisfaction out of my job. So I think it's a combination. Like you can find, you know, I'm a big believer in the American dream. I think you can find your own way here. And um, education is a huge part of it. Like, you know, it, it just opens doors and that's what we need. So you need more, like right now, we, we don't just need more college graduates. We also need more uh, incredible electricians. Like, I don't know if you've, you know, if, if you built anything lately, man, it's real tough to find great people to do that work. And, you know, that work creates good value for all sides, including an the industry person like nursing that people don't talk about that is oh, in entire need of talent. No, the thing about nursing, I will tell you is nursing, um, if you look across the two U degree portfolio, nursing has uh, the bet, one of the best debt to earnings ratios. In other words, like the inherently college debt is very controversial now. And I think it's a little silly at times because not all debt is bad. Like if you graduate with a program and you have a positive outcome, you can actually change your life. And you look at the nursing programs and they're great examples, huge shortage. You know, people coming out of the Georgetown nursing program from two U, they, they're doing really well, honestly. Like, and we need more of that because there's a huge shortage. So we just need to push more and more investment and entrepreneur uh, activity into the space to help solve these problems. Cause you're not, we're not going to get there without great public private partnerships. Let's put a wrapper on this conversation. Uh, if you're speaking to a room full of, let's say early career entrepreneurs, those that are, that are leaning in that direction and you're trying to sell them on jumping into the ed tech pool, because to your earlier point, it's not, it's more that we don't have enough companies out there, right? Uh, it's not that we're not innovating. What, what is your, I mean, kind of what's the brass tax that you're telling these folks? I mean, what is it that they want to hear that's the reality of it, but also the opportunity? Because you are you, you are yourself an American success story in that regard, right? From Pell Grant to not knowing what snow was like to, you know, running a company with 4,000 employees. I think that there's a lot to, to learn from someone who is still quite young in what you are doing and what you have to do in the future, what's your advice to them on why they should jump into ed tech? I mean, uh, there, there is nothing more impactful than knowing, like when we hear, when every meeting we have, every employee meeting, we bring either students or faculty or both. And when you hear the impact stories from people uh, whose lives we've changed, it, you know, there's most, most people's eyes are not dry in the room. You know, it's, it is so meaningful. And in my book, like that kind of impact, you don't get in most industries, at least you don't feel it the same way. And there's nothing more powerful. Like, I, you know, like ultimately education creates the opportunity for people to change their lives. And I, I you know, Personally, I find that to be an amazing way to spend one's time and a very motivating way to spend one's time. And I think today with Gen Z in particular, something that we do think we use pretty successfully to, to, to generate interest from an employee standpoint in the company, because it's all real. Um, now, I would also tell them at the same time, it's hard. 
Uh, EdTech is not for the faint of heart. Uh, I wish it was easier. Um, I don't love that there's a structure today. You know, Steve Case is a friend of mine, and he wrote a, a great book called The Third Wave. It's basically like first wave of the, of the internet was internet infrastructure. Second wave of the internet was like, you know, accessing basic services on that infrastructure. So think about Amazon. I know it sounds, it's, it, it's a complicated business, but ultimately like transacting over that infrastructure. And then his notion of the third wave is, you know, sort of much deeper penetration into our lives in places that are heavily regulated. Education, top of the list. So by the way, he'd be a great guest. Um, so I would say, like, I would tell people it's not going to be easy, but it's worth it. And like, yes, there are success stories. And, you know, we don't feel like we're anywhere close. I mean, right now we're right now we're particularly beaten down in the public markets. Like we, we think the company is doing really well, but the stock is not. So, you know, I show up at cocktail parties and people are like, how are you? You know, because like right. the stock is like I'm a public CEO. So the stock I get asked about by everybody. But, you know, honestly, my answer is I'm pretty I'm pretty damn good. Like, you know, we're. We just passed a hundred thousand graduates. Like in our, you know, like we're, I'm, like I, like I feel like we're really delivering. And so ultimately, you know, you've got people like Erica Garcia, single mom, lived in rural Colorado. She was able to attend GW while staying in her home uh, community. She got her master's in healthcare administration. Like it completely changed her life. Like I could go on and on about these stories. So I would say to the entrepreneur, like go for it. You know, just try to solve the big problems. Uh, you know, if you watch, uh, there's nothing better than to watch Steve Case's graduation speech. You know, like it, for me, that kind of motivation of like, how do you do something really profound that moves you as a human and make a great living out of it? And I believe in that notion. I believe in the power of, you know, of, of our sort of system. I think, and I, and I think we're kind of proving our system. Now, maybe in education, 30 or 40 years from now, people will think differently and there won't be quite as much vitriol related to for-profit education. Um, I think it'll, it'll take more time, but, uh, but I'm an optimist. And, you know, like, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, I would do it all over again with all the challenges we've had, no question. It's been well worth it. Well, I think it's great to see. Uh, it's nice to have been able to, I mean, we've met years ago, but to watch to you continue to grow. I think it's important in redefining the legacy space as well. I think especially in the K-12 market, which of course bleeds into higher ed, there have been a lot of experiences where there's been some buyer remorse in these really long-term contracts where states didn't really know what they were doing. And I think it's part, a part of changing the narrative. You talked about story earlier, and I think we need CEOs and we need companies that are being very thoughtful about sort of not just when they've got the student or that they're collaborating with a student and an educator, but it's the after, right? It's sort of what's the result? Where does that story end? Where does it close? And I think what you're doing uh, is really great and noble, and it's making a difference. That's the important thing, right? That's well, my I appreciate it, Rod. I would encourage people to go to ed edX.org. Like, you know, we have over 4,000 courses, most of which are free to allow people to experience something. And there's, we even have this new thing called triads where like it's a really bite-sized, just getting people started, you know, get them started. If you, you if gotta, you're, get them started, right? And then they, they experience it. They want to dive in more and they want to transform their family tree in, in ways we've discussed today. I want to make sure people can check out to you. You just go to the number two, you.com. Um, it's all there. And it was obviously edX.org, correct, Chip? Yes, that's right. Yeah. And honestly, Rod, I really appreciate the dialogue. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your listeners about 
you know, not just to you, but what's going on in education. And it's a, it's a pleasure. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. You're a statesman in the space. We really do appreciate your time. And I love the tagline. I'm going to close with this, that to you, if you don't know, it's eliminate the back row in higher ed. And I think that you're doing that in spades. It's going to need to continue uh, to, to go on so that we can see uh, the results for not just my kids, but uh, those that are listening and across the country and world. We want to thank Chip Posick, the co-founder and CEO of To You. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.